Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I have to tell you, I've been playing, I keep playing words with friends, and I, I just got into it, and I, I'm just playing a girl I went to college with, and she's beating me by like 200, and it's the worst thing when you lose by like double your score, because you feel so stupid, and what I'm getting is, I know how you can win now. You don't have to know words. I sit there, there should be a time limit, because what people do is they sit there, and I'll plug a line in, like if I have a... J and an A. Well, R-A-J is a word, Raj. But it, I mean, it's so many different words and like Zeus isn't a word and certain things. And I've talked about this before, but it's just, it gets irritating to me because I'm sitting there playing people. I finally start playing Joanne's nephew because he's 17 and I figure out I might be able to kick his ass. And then I'm watching, if I lose, I'm going to feel like an idiot losing to a 17-year-old. Anyway, enough about me and Words are Friends. We have a great show. Uh, this guest, he was on about a little over a year ago, and he's he has an amazing career. I mean, the guy's got like 187 IMDb credits, but in the last year, like every time I put the TV on, he's on. It's like it's like when I when Michael Buna was on. Michael's like all popping up all the time. It's like Spencer. Whenever you see him, it's a center, I mean, I swear to God, I could sit there and watch a video from the 80s. I'm sure he'll show up. Like he'll be in the back with Millie Vanilli. He was Vanilli. Now my guest is Spencer Garrett. How you doing, Spencer? How you doing, Coop? Now, now, do you play the words with friends? I do. I, I can't wait to play you now. I'm, I'm, I'm. Since you said that, I'm very excited to get on and play with you. Are you good? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. There's a couple of people. I have a couple of uh, nemesises. Now, is that a word? I is that got, a word? Nemesis? Nemesi? Well, I'll, I'll check it on the words. But there's friends. a couple of people that just absolutely drive me bananas. A couple of people that I play, because uh, I'm pretty good, and a couple of couple of friends of mine that play, and they play... Words with friends is different than Scrabble, because words with, words with friends kind of fudges a little bit. They they do, like, proper, uh, you know, place names and things like that. Some of the words on there, you know, somebody will play a word, and I'll go, what the hell is that? And then I'll I'll Google it, or I'll look it up in the dictionary. And it doesn't even exist. So you, you just be careful. You know. Well, the when worst. <laughs> no, the funny you say that is because, cause, you know, whenever I'll do it with Joanne, my girlfriend will be like, yeah. well, that's not a word. And sometimes you're right. When you check that dictionary tab, it will it say. Is, it's not in there. Words with friends uh, acknowledges this word, right. but we don't have a meaning. Right. And to me, that's not a well, word. Well, some words are, wor- are words in words with friends, and some words are words in Scrabble. I take the Scrabble. I take Scrabble a little bit more seriously when I play Scrabble. Words with friends, you, you, there's a little wiggle room. But there's some words like jizz. That's like that's like it's a, it's a slang, and slang never comes up. Is you that in words with? That's not in. No, words. it no, won't let yeah, happen. No, no. And no. certain things, if you like Jew, yeah, that's not that's not acceptable. No. And I'm like, well, it, it's not. I just, I, it's funny how they do that. So anyway, jizz uh, and Jew. Okay, we're starting off uh, this classy show. I know. Right. <laughs> yeah. So now you know. Last time you were here, I know I just seen you on Franklin and Bash, and then you just you've been you've been. I mean, I watch, I follow you on Facebook, and you've been meeting pictures with you and Taylor Swift and at, <laughs> at congressional dinners, and and so I mean, what has happened? I mean, you've had a great career, but in the last year, do you feel like you're just all of a sudden like? blowing up huge i well i would say blowing up i kind of feel like i after doing this for 25 years i think i kind of grew into my face you know i've been doing this a long time and i think i finally grew into my body i've always had this kind of baby face and i think i sort of grew into it so now i sort of look my age and i can play i could play characters that are that are my own age i mean when i was when i was playing senators and congressmen and things like that when i was in my late 20s 30s when I was in my 30s, I probably looked like I was in my early 20s. And now, you know, now I'm not. And, uh, and now I can play sort of more age-appropriate stuff. So I'm just kind of in a nice, I kind of feel like I'm in a nice sweet spot. The last, you know, the last three, four years, it's been really good. Well, and earlier in your career, you also did, you did some comedy, too. Yeah. Now, you seem to get in the way from comedy. Is that because... It's you- not not by choice. I love to do comedy. I think I just kind of got stuck in this, you know, serious guy in a suit niche for a long time. And... uh you know, whenever somebody throws me a comedy bone, I just jump at it because I, I I love doing comedy. Um, but I, you know, I think I've been I've been playing these a certain type of guy for so long that uh, people go, oh. And then whenever whenever I get a chance to do something funny, a casting people or producers will like, oh yeah, right, I forgot he's funny. So uh, for all you producers out there, do that, do that. No, so no, I mean, yeah. cause, I mean, no, it must be weird because as you said, you know, the roles. I mean, so first of all, you know. Your roles are very, um, shall we say, very, as an actor, I'm sure they're very 
challenging yeah. because you've actually you've played you know i mean when i saw you on franklin and bash you were a stoner and you played it great you know and it's because you're a good actor you're a really good actor but some of them that was fun and i i got a chance to be funny right you know i, I sunk my teeth into that i love that gig but like like uh murder in the first yeah i mean and i i know you had posted it on facebook i mean you're you're just an awful the the character is just awful. Just an awful person. I mean, yeah. so so do they come to you like when you get the re- when you get the breakdown? Does it say, hey, uh, or your agent goes, hey, Spencer, you know, what? we just want you to play an awful, awful person. That was a case of a friend of mine who had written the episode and he was working on the show and he was one of the writer producers on on Murder in the First and he sort of called me and, and offered me the role, um, and he said, you know, this guy he's a he's a uh, a psychotherapist who also happens to be the psychotherapist of his own child who is a sociopath, who's murdered a bunch of kids. And so you yourself are also a sociopath. And I just thought, wow, what an amazing thing to play. It's just a great, but he's a, a guy who was just very remote and cut off from society and cut off from his own emotions and just kind of emotionally bankrupt himself. And uh, so there was just a lot of just wonderful stuff to play there. Um, but uh, it, was a, it was just a great opportunity to play somebody that is just kind of just dead inside, you know. Now, that does, do people see you out and sometimes sit there like like if i i mean as i i always talk to guests about this you know yeah we live in hollywood we know that the people on tv are actors but there are a lot of people who one they don't know mm-hmm. and two if they're visiting and they associate someone they see you and if they had just watched murder in the first they probably go oh my god that guy's a jerk. Do you ever get that? Because I mean, murdering the first, you're 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 pretty. Uh, yeah, you, you sit there. You're not likable. You you can't sit there and like this. Cause... And there's no way to there's no way to make him likable. I mean, I you know I I just kind of went went for it. I mean, there's no there's no way to make that guy likable. I've been playing I think in the last couple of years guys that that tend to be on the spectrum of uh, a little bit a little bit more you know cut off from society, cut off from their own emotions. The guy I played in Aquarius last season. Um, I mean, you think he's this this fine, upstanding Republican Beverly Hills attorney, and it turns out that he's a you know he has a a penchant for cutting girls, and you know he's turned out to be a really really bad dude. And I didn't really get a sense of who that guy was. Uh, I would get little nuggets of who he was, sort of fed to me throughout the course of the season, but I didn't really know how bad he truly was going to be until. We got to a couple of weeks toward the end, and I went. And I saw the script, and I just thought, "Wow, this guy is just a big bowl of crazy." Now, when you did Aquarius, I know you're on this new season. We really can't talk about that because we don't know, you know, the thing. But what what was fascinating about Aquarius was also is like, you know, we're around the same age, and we, I don't, and I believe you grew up in New York. I grew up here and New York. Okay. Grew up here like Santa Monica, Brentwood, and New York. My mom's an actor, and I grew up going back and forth between here and New York, so I had a nice kind of blend of both places. So you had a little more concept to the whole Manson thing because you sure. were out here. Like like back east and as you say it's the, without social media, I mean without out social media we didn't know anything. I sure. mean if something the news you saw what happened in Philadelphia for me. If it's something like now, yeah. you know, like the you know the shooting in St. Louis or something like that. We wouldn't hear about that because our news wouldn't cover it. And right. the national news, most of when we were younger we really didn't watch. It was just one of those things. Now for you, first of all, was it were you, were you interested in that case the whole manson case when you were younger even though the show doesn't isn't specifically about manson it's about a time in la that is uh when manson's going rampant but it's also about the company's character and different Mm -hmm. things were you as a kid or in that time well i grew up i mean i grew up during that time i grew up in the late 60s 70s i mean i was a you know i was a teenager then and uh my mom knew sharon tate she knew roman polanski my godfather was an actor who knew Jay Sebring very well, who was one of the people that got killed in that house. Uh, so it had a lot of context for me. It had a lot of, you know, it had a lot of interest for me. So, um, and I, you know, and I, I, I knew a lot of the people that this, this world uh, discovers and talks about. So it, it was, uh, it had a, it had a great deal of interest for me when I, when I read the script for the first time, I really, really wanted to be a part of it. So. And so I just said, also yeah. just, and also period stuff. It was just, just, you know, the sixties and, the clothes and the cars and all of that. It's just always been, I've just been a fan of all of that. So well, you're a big car guy. You're a big car guy. Not really, not really. But I mean, the, the car that I drive in Aquarius is the car that I grew up in that my mom drew. It was, a, it was an old vintage Mercedes convertible, same color, same model, everything. So that's my car on the show. So that was kind of cool. Just, you know, being able to drive that. Th- I mean, I love cars. I've just never been, I was never like a super car guy. 
I'm the same way. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't, I'm not a big car. I, I, I'm like, eh, you know, eh. yeah. I mean, I had a Fiero when I got out of college. And I was like, that's, that's good. A you, Fiero. Do you remember nice. those? Sure. Yeah. You yeah. Now, what kind of cars did you drive when you got out of, when you got out of, uh, when you started, when you got your first, started getting your first acting breaks? I bought a, when I first moved out here, I bought a, uh, an Audi 100 LS for $400 from a guy named Louis Fantasia, uh, who's a friend of mine. And uh, now, just the fact that the guy's name is Louis Fantasia, you know, Louis Fantasia, I'm going to sell you my car, Louis Fantasia, you know, bought a car for $400, fell apart within months, and not great for the relationship, for the friendship, because I'm constantly calling Louis, I'm waiting tables, I'm tending bar, I'm doing the struggling actor thing, and I'm trying to keep this crappy car together. So that was my first experience driving a car when I first moved out from New York. What was your first? Break? I had it had a it had a uh, literally had a hole in the floor. As you were driving, you could see the pavement. I, were, I went know. I yeah. went to college. We we and we had a guy who had a car. His name was Mike Yano. Yeah. And he would sit there, and you could when we would get drunk, you'd be like, "Watch your feet," and he'd be like, "What?" Something <laughs> like a freshman got in the car, and because there was a hole. Yeah, yeah, I had that nice big rust hole about yeah. the size of a softball. You could see the ground underneath as you drove by. Whatever happened to Louis Fantasia? Louis Fantasia is still around. He's a he's a <laughs> theater director and an actor and. Sort of jack of all trades, and he always has about six or seven cars in his driveway. <laughs> I see him. He lives in my neighborhood. I see him, and he's got all these all these cars in the driveway. There's always like one or two cars parked on the you know on the lawn. So you know, he's that guy. But now, what was your first break? I mean, my first break in a role, like you sit there, because I mean, as I say, you know, we talked about your career before, but it's just it's such a fascinating career because as you said you played so long, and anytime someone is over a hundred and 25. I think you have 187 IMDb credits, which is that's that's like wow, seven. you counted. Wow, it says it. No, it's, no <laughs> oh, it does. Okay, no, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, wait, but no. So, I mean, I'm looking back. I mean, you started off, you know, as you know, as a young actor. I mean, what was one of your first big roles that started really getting you propelled to saying, you know, I am think I have a shot this. at this? Yeah, uh, when I came out here, I, I did uh, uh, I did the show called Reasonable Doubts. Uh, I was recurring on a show called Reasonable Doubts with Mark Harmon and Marley Matlin. Uh, it went it went two seasons, and I signed on to do one episode, just a guest spot. And about three months later, they brought me back for another one, and then another one, and turned it into another one. I ended up doing about I think I ended up doing about thirteen of them over the over the course of two years, and it was just a great just a great character. He was the first of what I call in my pantheon of pricks in suits. Uh, he was a young, sort of scrappy, uh, not terribly pleasant young guy attorney. Uh, and I was sort of the foil for Marley Matlin's character, and um, and I remember I remember vividly Mark Harmon throwing me up against the wall in a scene in a urinal where he was upset with me about doing something. I was always getting thrown up against the wall or or, or getting getting uh, my hands smacked for you know saying saying something prickish or you know so he like he he was a he was a really fun character to play, uh, <laughs> and that's kind of what uh, that kind of kind of got me started. Isn't that funny? You sit there and you think, you know, I hear this so many times. Oh, well, I was this. I was like, well, I always played a, a cop or I, but you're like, I played a prick. He was a prick. I mean, he, he was a prick. And there was no way, no way, no two ways about it. He was a prick in a suit. He's just a 25 year old guy who thought he was better than everybody else. And just kind of smarmy, yuppie jerk now, is what he was. Now, how do you get in the character for that? Because you're, especially, <laughs> no, I'm saying like, no, it's especially, you know, because you it's with Mark Harmon. You know, yeah. everyone likes Mark Harmon. The nicest guy. To this day, everyone yeah. likes The mean, best guy. Yeah. Mark Harmon's one of those people, like, you know, like certain bands, but like everyone likes. Like you yes. sit there and you never hear anyone go, oh, I don't like Mark Harmon. Because if they don't if they don't watch NCS, they love summer school. Whatever they, they have. Right. There, oh, we loved older. We loved but he also has a reputation as genuinely being one of the nicest people in show business. You know, I mean, him and Tom Hanks, you know, you, not it's not not for nothing to people. You know, everybody wants to work on that show. Uh, not for no reason is NCIS the number one show I think still in the, you know in in the country. I mean for years it's been, it's on been, for yeah, it's been fifteen a, years in, in the world. Not in incredible. the world I think. Now no, but how do you do when you sit there and you have to go like and you constantly have to do that? I mean it's like anything. There's you have to have some intensity because you have to have some you know he has to have a little dis distaste for you. Yeah. But when you know a guy's so nice and I know it's all in the acting realm, but when you know someone's so nice, it's like and they say okay. So take take two. Be more of a prick. I mean, what do you do to? Well, the, I mean, the writing was so good. I played the character was called Darren Burke, and uh, they called him Burke the Smirk. I always had a little smirk on my face, a little self satisfied grin all the time. And uh, but the writing was just so good. The stuff that came out of my mouth was just so smarmy and jerky, and so it was easy for Mark's character to not like me. Uh, and uh, and and Marley as well. I saw Marley for the first time in years. I saw her in New York. She's doing 
Spring Awakening on Broadway, the revival of Spring Awakening. And, uh, and, and I went up and gave her a hug at the opening night party. And she said, you were such a jerk. And I went and I, I looked at Jack, Jason, her interpreter, and he met, and he sort of gestured to me like, no, she doesn't mean like in real life. She means like, and she kind of smiled and gave me a big hug. And she said, no, I love you, but the guy you played was really an asshole. I was like, great, I did my job. That's that's good. I mean, it's something that people know that, but it's also, I mean, you've made a living being a jerk sometimes. Sometimes, and sometimes. And, for, and, and for, at, at, at a certain point, I really wanted to get away from it. Um, there was a point where I thought, okay, I've really kind of reach my limit playing these jerks and suits. And when was that? What part what, at what I, age? I would career? I would say probably about probably about 10 12 years ago. I I I kind of thought, all right, I've I've been put in this box. It's a very comfortable box. I could probably play these guys till the day I die, but I really want to do something else. And I and I kind of I kind of turned down for for a good chunk of time uh the the corrupt senator uh, you know the the mean lawyer, the you know, you know th- those those guys that had been my stock and trade for such a long time. I just kind of said to to the agents and the manager, I said, let's see if we can find something that's 360 degrees away from those guys because I've done those and we know that can. And I I got to the point where I sort of I can do that in my sleep and I wanted to do something different. I wanted to be challenged. Was it was it scary at all though to sit there and think you know it's like anything when you're branching to a different you know a different style role you're gonna go out for yeah. When you're so good at something, so roll that as you said, you can do it in your sleep, and and yeah, you're not challenged, but also you know you want a nice car, you want that. I mean, it's the old thing. Is it hard to sit there? And then I mean, do you really have to sit there and pull down into your gut and go, oh man, you know what? I really like that new BMW, and I could take that role. Nah, that, I... that that stuff. I've never I've never been a stuff person. Okay, that's it's never been about it for me. I just I I love to work. I just I mean, you can tell obviously. I, you know, okay. I love to work. I mean, I I. No matter what the gig is, uh, in the last five years, I, I've uh, I've always been an actor that tends to chase work. So if there's something that I love, no matter where it shoots, if it's shooting in Shreveport or Kuala Lumpur, uh, and I've worked in both places, sometimes within the same month, um, if it's a role that I love, I'll chase it down. And uh, uh, I just I love diversity. I love I love mixing it up and playing playing different kinds of people. So so at the point where I had gotten a little tired of playing these certain kinds of players. You know, I wasn't complaining. I wasn't complaining about the the amount of work that I was getting. I just wanted to do richer stuff. I just wanted to spread my wings a little bit more. So I was looking for more comedies. I was looking for more charactery stuff. Well, what did you work on in Kuala Lumpur? Uh, I did a movie called Black Hat with, uh, I think it was before you and I met, I did a movie for Michael Mann. Uh, I, started, uh, I started with Michael Mann on Public Enemies about nine years ago. Uh, this terrific movie about John Dellinger with Johnny Depp and uh, Christian Bale and uh, Marion Cotillard. Great cast. We were in uh, Chicago, all over the Midwest in the winter, playing gangsters. And, you know, that was, again, a period, dress up, 1930s, right in my wheelhouse. I just loved it. And uh, and Michaels, for whatever reason, took a shine to me and brought me back. And we did Luck. We did the uh, HBO series That's, with Nick Nolte about the horses. That always irritated me that that didn't get a longer life. Yeah, me too. Because, I mean, you sit there and you look at the cast and Dustin Hoffman was in that. And just you know, Dustin Hoffman and, and the great Michael Dennis Mann. Farina and I mean, Michael Mann, David, you know, David Milch. It had all of the all of the earmarks of just, you know, just tremendous pedigree from so many so many great people involved in that thing. And you had Joan Allen coming on and doing guest spot and. Uh, just, just every time I would show up to the set, there would be like just amazing actors because everybody wants to work with Michael. Everyone's, everybody wants to work with Milch and say his words. Uh, obviously the problem was with the horses. Uh, the, you know, there were a couple of horses died during right. the making of the film and, you know, and that sort of put a taint on the thing. Uh, and then HBO shut us down. So we were, we were just about to get into our second season when they, when they pulled the plug on us. It was disappointing. You know, I know, I know, uh, I know. Dustin was very disappointed because he had such a great character, and uh, and 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 I was disappointed because most of my scenes, ninety nine percent of my scenes, were with Dustin and Dennis Farina, uh, who I miss very much. Um, so that was a bummer. But Michael, uh, Michael sort of kept me in his rep company, and so we did this movie called Black Hat with Chris Hemsworth and Viola Davis, and we went to uh, Kuala Lumpur and Shanghai and Hong Kong. And it was a sort of cyber thriller we shot all over Asia, and uh, and I was there for uh, I was there for about three weeks, uh, you know, wandering around Europe with this 
giant crew of crazy people. It's fun. It must be. I know you travel a lot because I'll see. Uh, you know, you always put where you're going to and where you're coming back. Yeah. I mean, I mean, how? If you think about it. In in the last, because we're almost up of the new year. The new year started in January. How many? How many times do you think you've flown this year? Because I know when I was in a long distance relationship with Joanne before she moved out, I think I did. And my dad was sick at that a part of that too. I think I did in like a year and a half. I did like eighteen flights. Back, oh, that's back I'm 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 up there. My girlfriend lives in D.C. She's okay. a reporter at CNN, and so uh, so I I'm I'm back in D.C. I fly back every every three weeks to a month. Uh, she she's not as able to come out here as much as she would like to. She covers uh, she covers congressional stuff. Uh, she's the uh, congressional correspondent at CNN, and so. Uh, she's kind of stuck in Washington, and she's got a young child, and so I'm 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 on airplanes every every three weeks. I'm going back again this weekend. So now, are you political? Uh, yeah, I think I I would say I'm political. I've always had a I've had a have had a you know uh, I grew up with a, a political mom, and I grew up being activist. Yeah. Now, what's it like going out with someone who is a congressional reporter who is around politics? Do you get more insight, or do you sit there? Or is it something where you really don't want to talk about? At the dinner table, you know what I mean. She is she's kind of a superstar in what she does uh, in in her world. And as soon as she clocks out, uh, I mean, she's she's such a terrific reporter. But at the end of the day, she clocks out. She wants to read Us magazine and watch Scandal and check out and watch Nashville and you know talk about anything but politics. And of course, when I go to Washington, I say, you know, can you believe what Ben Carson said today? Right. I want to talk <laughs> about politics. So we always have to find a happy medium because I'm I'm constantly. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a news junkie, so I love talking about that stuff. And, uh, but I have to be careful because she can't wear her politics on her sleeve because she has to be objective. Right. Uh, so, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a Bernie Sanders guy, uh, at the moment, Bernie's kind of my guy and, and I want to tweet certain things or talk about certain things or I want to say, I can't believe that Donald Trump said this. And I have to be careful about the things I tweet because it, it, it'll get back to her. So. I have to, I don't want to step, I don't want to step on her toes. So I, I, I have to, I want to be able to express myself and express my politics, but I have to play it a little bit closer to the vest because, you know, I don't want to. Now, the Trump thing. Ugh. I, it's funny. I always joke around Ugh. with Joanne. I go, Trump. And she goes, if you voted for him, we're breaking up. And I go, I'm not going to vote for him. Yeah. But I don't know if we could be friends, Steve. Well, no one's going to yeah. vote. I mean, here's the deal. And, and, and you know, we're, we're both intelligent guys. He's never going to wait around because if he becomes president, he has to give up all these holdings of companies he has. He isn't. I mean, that's so funny. What is that if, true? I, I guess yes, that's true. No, yeah. it's, it's, he, he can't. You can't He's going to have to divest her, himself of yeah, all of his. A bunch of corporations. Wow. Okay. What's amazing is, though, and, you know, to think that, you know, in this day and age that someone like that can actually be leading and then everyone's. Then he goes to host Saturday Night Live, biggest ratings since 2012. Yeah. And I can't believe Larry David was on. Uh, that bummed me out. Because actually. He's, I love Larry David, and his Bernie Sanders is great. It's great, but the, Larry David's appearance on the show—it it was almost like he was playing into the joke of Donald Trump, right. which to me he's still a joke. Um, but the the Latino protesters that were protesting his appearance on the show—that's a very real thing. And then Larry David, you know, and they were—they basically said anybody that says. Uh, you know, right. he's a racist. We'll give him five thousand dollars. So Larry David shows up, and it, it it almost kind of flipped the bird at the protesters. I felt I just I thought it was unnecessary, but you know, it's all about ratings. It's about it's about you know, it's about it's about it's about getting ratings. And I just thought it was a little shameful. Well, what's the thing about ratings also is you know, and I've noticed this. I've been doing some reading in the la- in, and it's good because you're involved in a bunch of shows. You know, and you you may have noticed this difference in the past four years. If a TV show doesn't get the ratings or get the following in like one or two episodes. Gone. It's gone. gone. But it seems like they're changing it now. I mean, and I've read some articles where there's certain shows they said, we're giving this more time. Why do you think that is? Because, you know, you're around it. You know the biz. Why do you think are the network's probably saying, thinking back to the old times, like Seinfeld didn't get good ratings the first year. Cheers. Couple, first, couple yeah. Yeah, first couple so of what, years. Yeah, first couple of years. So what do you think the this, this shift in, and it's great for actors because it gives you guys a little more stability because it's nothing like being on a great show yeah and then if they go i'm not really sensing though i'm not i'm not getting the vibe that that shows are getting that much of a chance um i mean obviously there's so many there's just a crazy amount of platforms for for television now i mean it's it's a great time to be in television um there's almost too much of it now there's almost too much television because you have to seek out you know you got it on hulu and netflix and amazon it's everywhere it's all over the place and and 
uh, you know, streaming those series on YouTube and, and things like that, which is great. It's great. I'm all about giving opportunities to actors. It's wonderful. Um, but it's almost like there's too much of it and it's hard to find. I mean, I'm having a hard time catching up with, uh, the shows that I love, but, uh, I, I still, uh, you know, to answer your question, I, I don't feel like networks are giving, uh, okay. you know, three, four shows in, if you're not getting the ratings, you're gone. Uh, which is unfortunate because I think it's also because we have such a short attention span in this, uh, you know, we, we, we walk around looking at our phones uh, and watching television on our phones, sitting in airports, wandering around. So we have this short attention span culture and people don't have the time to invest in the shows to, you know, to, to give them the time to unfold and grow. And so if they're not getting the ratings, they're gone and they move on to the next shiny thing. Now with Aquarius... And it was, as I said, that was one of the platforms that it did come out. A network never does the streaming. And they streamed it, which, uh, and the other show that I'm on, uh, Satisfaction, I noticed they did the same thing. Satis- season two of Satisfaction on USA, they uh, they streamed the entire season uh, in a weekend, which I'm not sure how that works or why that works, but uh, I know that the numbers were really good because people were anxious to see the season, and so they watched it in droves, you know, the opening weekend, so... Yeah, you can also, you can DVR it. I mean, it's like yeah. anything. You sit there, it's like Aquarius. Okay, we really enjoyed Aquarius. Yeah. And you watch one episode and you go, you know what? I don't feel like, I don't want to see next week. Like right now, I'm, I'm three behind on Homeland. But I know I can watch. I haven't started home. yet. I, yeah. yeah, it's same thing. I, I got the first two. But it's something that it, it's great because something like Aquarius is a show where you want to know what's going on because it, it has substance. But even that show, it was rumored that might or might not come back. I mean, so how does that work for you? Because when you're on a project, and it is a well-written show, and it is, the guy who plays Manson is really good. Fabulous. I mean, and... Gethin Anthony, just get, a terrific actor. And you got to love the, the company. The company's great in everything. He's great in everything. And so, what's that like, though, when you sit in there, I mean, when you know it's good, and it happened to you with luck before, and it's going to happen in your career, and that's like anything, people lose sure. jobs. But it must be harder when you sit there and you know the season came out after you were done the whole first season. So the the time lapse between finding the the go ahead light is a lot longer because let's say you started in January yeah. and then they do it. I mean, what's that? Is that nerve wracking? We, we we wrapped season one of Aquarius uh, a year ago this week, right? And it didn't start airing until what June? Right. Uh, the beginning of last summer. Um. So we you know I'd already moved on to a couple of other things and. Of course, in the back of my mind, you know, we're all hoping, gosh, I really, you know, I, it was such a great role and such a great show and uh, loved working with the people. So you're, you're always hoping that you're going to get a second season, another shot to, uh, you know, to keep, keep telling the story. And how long did it take for them to finally tell you that? I mean, was it? I found out for myself, I found out about three weeks ago uh, that, uh, that my character was, uh, might possibly be sticking around. So. That's... So how do you deal with that? I mean, it's like, I mean, it's like anything you want to get work and they, I mean, you, that's what, and you love getting work. And when you don't find that for like, and it's a character you love and love it is this a great character. character. And I love mean, the character. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, you, you, had the, what's the standoff with you and Manson in the, uh, in the parking lot. Yeah. It's yeah. great. I mean, you just, you're like, in, my, in my old car. Yeah. You're like, my the, I don't, side. I don't give a shit, you know, yeah. and just very, you know, so it's a growing one of my up. favorite scenes ever. One of my favorite, one of, one of my favorite actors that I've ever had a chance to work with, uh, and, I, and I loved him on Game of Thrones. And when I saw him on Game of Thrones, and then oddly enough, when I was auditioning for the role, John McNamara said, "Hey, uh, they, you know, they were they were still looking for their Manson." And he showed me all of these audition uh, reels of these different actors that were that had you know that had put themselves on tape. And he said, "I think we found our guy." And he showed me Gethin's audition uh, from London. Uh, and he said, I think that's our guy. And I looked at, it, I said, I think that's your guy. I mean, that's, I mean, I'd seen, I'd watched about 20 different actors auditions that were reading for Manson. And as soon as I saw Gethin, it was like a no brainer. So now when you said it was one of your favorite scenes yeah. that you've been in, what the, are, scene, the scene in the parking right. lot with him, what are some of your other favorite scenes you've done in your career? If you sit there and think, wow, you know, and I, I know it's like anything saying, or what's your favorite song or to me, yeah. what's your favorite Springsteen song? I had oh, this yeah. great, I had this great, uh, moment with Catherine Keener in a, in a lovely movie, uh, uh, called Lovely and Amazing, uh, directed by Nicole Holofsetter. Uh, and I had just one scene with, with Keener, who I was I had always been a big fan of. And the character was this very, he was written as this very swishy kind of, 
kind of West Hollywood shopkeeper, um, really not a lot on the page other than that he was just this kind of snooty, dismissive guy. She comes in, she's trying to sell him some homemade wrapping paper that she's painted. And, uh, and he basically says, so I, I looked at the script and I thought, I want to, I want to try to do something with this that's not on the page. So I decided that he'd start talking like he was a German and I made him a German. I gave him this accent and she walks into the store and I start talking like this. And Nicole said, oh my God, you have to do that. That's perfect. And Keener looked at me and she said, you fucker, you're going to steal the scene right out from under me. And I said, sure, why not? I'm going to be on screen. You're on screen for two hours. I'm on screen for 30 seconds. So I, it was just a fun character. I just loved I loved playing this kind of just silly over the top German guy. And it was a chance to do comedy that I never, you know, normally get a chance to do. I love that. And, um, I love the opening scene of luck, uh, when, uh, when, when Dustin Hoffman pulls in and I played the manager of the Beverly Hills hotel. I don't know how many people saw it. Probably nine people saw it, but, uh, it was a thrilling moment for me just to get a chance to work with him on my, you know, one of my acting heroes. And, uh, so that was great. That was great. Now, how great is it for an actor for people to find your work now that we have Netflix and stuff like yeah. that? Cause me, a lot of times I'll do this, like, uh, uh, Peter Dobson was on uh I love peter yeah and yeah he, and actually that's where i met randy ryan's wife who knew you uh-huh uh, she was in uh the pilot peter developed i uh, oh, okay oh aaron so we're talking about aaron raftery yeah, yeah the, well aaron's husband randy was in public enemies right, with and he me. was that's on the show that... after i met aaron and we oh, talked about right it. right but no i was gonna say is like we like when when peter was on i sat there and i know his miami vice so i go at, I, you can google now how great is as an actor like if, if someone sits there peter and, was on miami vice yeah, really. When wow. he was young, yeah, sure. He was real young, and sure. it's like when John Polito was on the show. The same oh, thing. You go back. Polito, John Polito. I mean, how great is that? Like for an actor, like when people sit there and say to you, you know, like because you have you have you know you have people look up to you, different actors. And I'm sure when younger actors talk to you, they go, you know, well, how do you get out of being this the prick to this to that mm-hmm. to this? How great is it now for an for an actor just to be able to show his tools off, saying like me, I googled Polito, Miami Vice, uh, then I go to Netflix and I go season four episode 15 i mean how great is that as an actor that you can actually sit there and now people you're you're it's like your whole work you is, can be rediscovered yeah sure i mean through, through the the internet is the internet can be a, a tremendously scary place sometimes but for an actor it's wonderful because people uh people come up to me in airports and say i saw you you know i i i, I googled you i saw you on an episode of some show and i said is that the guy that was in the episode of blah, 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 and I, sure enough, I Netflixed you and found you in this old movie that I'd never seen before, and I'm so glad that I saw it, and so it's great because, like, early stuff that you've done can get sort of unearthed, you know, it's out there living on the internet, so it's a great, it's a treat for me because, because uh, there's a lot of stuff that I know that I've done that really sometimes never gets seen, so it's, uh, it's, it's fun, it's, it's kind of thrilling when people get to rediscover you you know, as you're this farther along in your career, when people, you know, get a chance to, to, uh, to see stuff that you've done earlier on. It's, it's a, it's a real thrill. Now tell me more about satisfaction. Now you said they, they just, they just, when, when did it premiere? Uh, it premiered, I'm going to say, uh, three weeks ago. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. now, now catch people up. It's the second season. Yeah. And your character, I know is wears very nice suits and smokes great nice cigars. suits, great suits and cigars. And yeah. Now, how great is that when you go to work? I mean, do you get this? Do they sit there and say, cause I, I've seen you're a sharp dresser. Do they sit there and say, uh, okay, you know what? We're going to dress him how we think he would shop. Or do they just sit there and put you, I mean, how does that work? They had, I, it was great because I think second season came along. They had a little bit more money, a little bit more dough to spend. And so they had these suits made for me. I mean, I had a couple of suits that were like, just these gorgeous Brioni suits. And then they had some suits. This guy out in Burbank, that this, uh, this tailor, this old tailor, this Hollywood guy that's been around for 40 years, uh, had some suits cut for me. So I had all these custom-made suits. And there's something about wearing the clothes of the guy that you're playing that really puts you in, you know, that puts you in that zone, that puts you in that frame of mind. So when you're wearing a $2,000 suit and $800 shoes, it makes a difference than when you're wearing something, you know, straight off the rack. You know, I just did. I just did uh, uh, blood and oil. Uh, I'm recurring on this thing with Don Johnson, and there was a, uh, a fancy dinner party scene, and I went up. We were shooting up in Park City, and they put me in this just gorgeous, this beautiful Hugo Boss tuxedo. It's not something I could never afford in my own life, and they put me in this tuxedo. All of a sudden, you put these clothes on, and you feel like. Right. And I was playing the guy who wants to be the governor of North Dakota, and he's got a lot of dough, and you know, you put these clothes on and all of a sudden you're just in that world. And on satisfaction, 
uh, I'm in these beautiful suits, and the prop guy comes up and uh, and says, you know, hands hands me a prop cigar, and I said, I can't smoke. If I'm going to smoke this for the next hour and a half, I said, I need the real thing. So they go out and get me a nice cigar, and you know, it just puts you puts you in the what, puts what, you in the right headspace. What's a prop cigar? Prop does, cigar is shit. Prop, does, cigar, does, prop cigar. But is, does it actual light? Or? Oh no, it's a real cigar, okay. but it's a cigar from Seven Eleven. <laughs> you know. Uh, it's just a bad cigar that 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 makes you want to vomit and turns your face green. My dad used to always say that. Oh, the face turns green. And we're like, what? No. And then he said, No, you really do. I've heard. You really do. No, there's 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 something there's a there's a real difference between a good cigar and a bad cigar. So what what's explain your role on Satisfaction? I played the boss of the of the guy of Neil Neil Truman, who's this guy in season one. He finds his wife is stooping this guy who turns out to be a male escort. And their marriage is sort of on the rocks, and they're sort of at an impasse in their life. And so he confronts this—he confronts this guy who's who's having a thing on with his wife. And through the magic of television, they sort of get into a scuffle, and their cell phones get exchanged. And Neil ends up with the cell phone of the male escort. So he decides to become a male escort himself, just just to see what all the fuss is about. And he starts, you know, getting it on with other women, and it spices up their marriage. And it's a very, I mean, it's a really, it's a very postmodern love story. I mean, uh, what happens to these two people throughout the course of their marriage in, in season one, you think, well, it's never going to survive. And then sure enough, in season two, it's brought them closer together. Um, and then, as you will see, uh, we're about midway through season two now, uh, Neil and Grace uh, have decided to sort of align forces. And uh, you're going to find out that they... Uh, she she kind of goes off and she has a thing with Adriana, who's the madam, who's the one that runs the escort service. But Neil and Grace kind of come back and they decide that they're going to start running their own escort service. Okay. Yeah. Sounds As you great. do. And you that's, that's like a fun show. It's a very fun show. It's very spicy and just very, very silly. Uh, very, very sexy. Very sexy show. Now, I know you recently played someone real life, Walter Ruth. Yes. Yeah. Now... Is that the first time you've actually played someone who is a non-fictitious character in your career? And what was it, what is that like when you sit there? You really have to sit there and get the nuances down and stuff like that. It's, it's not like just sitting there, as we say, when you be the guy in the suit. Well, yeah. okay. You know, you now, in, the, in the case of a guy like Walter Ruther, who is the, the head of the United Auto Workers in the, uh, in the 40s through the 60s, uh, very, very prominent guy, very, just an amazing character. Um, and I had the luxury of time to do a, a fair amount of research on him. Uh, I tweeted something when I got the job, this is Jay Roach who directed me in game change. Uh, and so he's doing this movie about LBJ called all the way. Brian Cranston, the great Brian Cranston did this play on Broadway, won the Pulitzer prize. He won the Tony award for it. So Jay Roach is making the movie of the play. Uh, so when I got cast as Walter Ruther, I just dug myself in, uh, trying to find as much you know, intel on this guy as I could. Uh, I tweeted something about what a what a great thrill it was to be a part of this, and Sasha Ruther, who is the nephew of Walter Ruther, found me on Twitter, contacted me, private messaged me, gave me his number. He was in New York. I was in New York at the time. So we ended up having a two-hour conversation about, that's, again, the you know, the, the, the digital age, this wonderful world of information that we live in. This guy found me, uh, we had a great conversation about what his uncle was like. Uh, I had access to information that I wouldn't normally have had, even on the Internet. I mean, he told me personal things. Uh, so that was incredibly beneficial. That was great. So, I mean, I, you know, I had, a, I had an obligation to honor this, you know, this great man. He was a great ally uh, and confidant of Martin Luther King. Uh, Walter Ruther was, he actually, uh, the UAW funded uh, the March on Washington. Uh, MLK's March on Washington. Just a lot of stuff. Just a great wealth of information that I, uh, you know, that I had access to. And sh- and Sasha himself, documentary filmmaker, he uh, did a great documentary called Brothers on the Line. The three Ruther brothers uh, were all union activists, uh, and it's about really just a, uh, this great time in the American labor movement through through the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Um, specifically focusing on Walter, what a great, powerful guy he was. Uh, and his allegiance to uh, uh, LBJ, uh, Ruther was very was very opposed to the Vietnam War, but because he had such a uh, a strong 
bond with LBJ, uh, he couldn't come out publicly against the war. So he had to stay. He had to until waited until LBJ uh, left office before he could really pronounce his own, uh, you know, anti-war sentiments. So it's just a lot of good stuff like that. That it was just really fun to be able to play somebody that I not only that I admired uh, and and really grew to love. And I again, I only had a couple of scenes in the film, but uh, you know, it was just a uh, it was just important for me to be able to to uh, to to honor this guy's memory and legacy. So it was a very cool thing. Do you feel more pressure on a role like that because you yeah. you already and it's like one thing if you didn't meet anyone from his family, but now you met his Sasha. Yeah, and you've talked about it, and it's sort of like I would think you want to do well. Well, you want to do well because you're a good actor, but you want to do well because someone took their time and basically looked you. Followed yeah, you, hunted you down, absolutely, to make sure that you know. I want it, it was it was his nephew, his nephew, okay, yeah. So I'm sure he said, "My uncle, I want my uncle to look good." I want yeah. him now. Does, does that feel more pressure? Do you think about that when you're doing the? the, the no, the I didn't. I mean, I didn't think about it. It didn't put it didn't put any added pressure on me. I mean, I just wanted to do well. Period. Um, I wanted to be able to look and sound and behave like this guy as much as I was able to. There was a great amount of footage on Walter uh, on YouTube, so I was able to kind of find his voice and his cadences and things like that. I mean, I didn't want to do an impersonation. I wanted to give it as much my own, you know, flavor as I could, but at least I wanted to get a sense of who the guy was. Um, he had also, he had like bright red hair. So, you know, they, they uh, uh, fortunately, Jay said to me, he said, you know, he said, I mean, Brian Cranston, he, he, the, the amount to which he looks like LBJ in this movie is frighteningly uncanny. I mean, it's just it's, it's extraordinary what they've done. Uh, a great Academy Award winning uh, makeup guy named Bill Corso uh, did Cranston's uh, makeup and he looks, he walked in, I was getting my uh, I was doing my hair and makeup test and I was in the trailer uh, and Cranston walked into the trailer and he, and he saw me, he's like, hey Spencer, how are you? He was just totally in character, looked like him, the makeup, everything. It was just just unbelievable. So, uh, so Jay Jay Roach said to me, he said, you know, Ruther had like bright this bright red hair, sort of copper colored hair. Uh, so they gave me sort of a reddish hair, but he said, you know, you don't have to look exactly like the guy, even though I kind of do in 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 a in facially in a certain certain regard. Uh, but he said you don't have to, you know, you don't because not a lot of people really knew who he was, so I didn't have to have this, you know, right. dye my hair red, but. But you know, I gave it. I gave it as much, as much of the physicality of the guy as I as I could. Um, that's important to me. Now, what's it like working with Jay Roach? Where his background is, he does so many great comedies. Is it amazing? Like and, all I of mean, the Austin Powers movies and, and Meet the Parents and all that. And I met, and now he's just become this great political filmmaker. Yeah, I met him uh, ages ago. He's the at, best. It was at a concert at uh, the Shrine, and the Bangles were playing an after he's party. A, he's married to a Bangle, and I think I'm the only one who recognized him because it was before. I mean, it was like when Austin Powers came out. This is like 15 years mm-hmm. ago. Or 16 years ago, and I went up. I said, "You're Jay Roach again." I was losing my voice. I must have sound like this wacko. Going, hey, Jay Roach. But yeah, I mean, what's it like? Because when you, you you know you go from you work on the Game Change, you work yeah, with him, yeah, and then and you, before that, he had done Recount with Kevin Spacey and Dennis Leary. So that was sort of the beginning of his, uh, I think, of his sort of transformation into making these, you know, from doing these very broad comedies, uh, Mike Myers and and you know Ben Stiller to to making these really serious political movies. It kind of, but, but always had a sense of humor about them. Recount, game change. Uh, they always had a, a kind of an undercurrent of humor. Now, when you go back and work with him and he's worked with you and do you feel a comfortability? Oh and, yeah. And this also is because, and now the difference is you're playing real, you know, is it, I mean, when you go in, does he, do you think he expects more from you because he knows what you can do? I mean, how does that work when you go back working with another director because, you know, I mean, especially because you work with a lot of directors. You, I mean, your career has been With somebody work. like Jay, who he has uh, such a, uh, actors love him, uh, first of all. Uh, he has such a gentle presence. There's nothing dictatorial about him. He's not a yeller. Uh, I mean, I've worked with Michael Bay and I've worked with Michael Mann, who are very, very strong personalities uh, who, you know, sort of rule the set with an iron fist. Jay is just there, just sort of guiding the actors along, and you know, you'll 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 give a line reading, and he'll come up and say, "That was really really nice. I really like the way you did that." I mean, just a really gentle demeanor about him, and there's just, just something about his uh, his handling of actors and the way he talks to actors that is very unusual, and it's very nurturing, 
uh, and and sweet. He's just a, a really genuinely nice man who knows what he wants, and if if he wants to tweak the 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 direction of the line or direction of the scene in a particular direction, he, you know, he'll he'll coax you along. It's a very gentle uh, way of directing, and I, I really like that. And so when I got cast in the role, I just I just couldn't wait to show up to work because I just really wanted to. Uh, I really want to please him, you know. Um, and it's you know it's not that way with every director. I mean, but in Jay's particular case, I just I just kind of felt like I really wanted to. I was all, I was first of all just honored to have been able to you know what I like to call uh, you know invited to the grown ups table. I at the big you know the big table reading, and I'm sitting there with Brian Cranston and and Bradley Whitford, who's an old friend who I've admired for a long time. He's playing Hubert Humphrey, and Melissa Leo, who's playing Lady Bird, and Anthony Mackie. Uh, who I just saw the other night, and uh, who's playing LBJ, saw Anthony in a in a an extraordinary movie the other night called Shelter, that was directed by Paul Bettany uh, with Anthony Mackie and and Jennifer Connelly. Just as an aside for all you right. people out there, uh, absolutely extraordinary Is that film. Theaters so, right now? Uh, it's coming out soon. Yeah, called Shelter. But um, you know, I'm looking around uh, around the room. Stephen Root is playing a great character actor. Oh, Stephen Root, amazing guy, and uh, and. You know, uh, looking around the room at all these people that I'm that I'm about to be in this film with, and I just thought, gosh, this is what a what a what a thrill this is. It never gets old for me. I mean, I just you know, I look around, and I just think, God, how blessed to be able to be surrounded by all these extraordinary character actors and great actors, and you know, of course, Cranston, I just you know, just revered from you know, I mean, not only from Breaking Bad, but I mean, he's just to me. I went up to him after the table read, and I said, I just have to tell you. As a character man, as a character actor myself for the last 25 years, your story is inspirational to me because he's always worked. He's always been a working character actor, working guy. Um, but when, I mean, you know, the, the trajectory of that career, you know, Malcolm in the Middle was a great, fun role. And then all of a sudden Breaking Bad and it sort of put him into this other strata of actors, you know, just the, the, and the caliber of the work just you know, just all of a sudden you got to, you got to, you got to break out every tool in the box and you get to see what, it, what an amazing guy, what an amazing actor this guy truly is. So I just said, you know, to me, your story is as a, as a character guy, that's, you know, I see, you're, you're what I want to be when I grow up. Yeah. It's funny. Cause it's funny you say that. Cause just the other night, and they, cause we always watch Seinfeld and they've had the old episode the, of his characters and, and it was the one, he was the dentist, right? Yeah. And he yeah. was in a bunch of episodes, yeah. but you sit there and it, I was thinking the same thing, you know, in that he was sort of, you know, good-looking slick new york dentist you know yeah. always trying to get laid but he really didn't have game yeah and then malcolm in the middle he's just a, a goof doofus yeah and then breaking bad he goes from you know some from a doofus pretty much to, to a badass and it's amazing just to see you know you sit there going wow you know that's 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 range that's crazy that's range that ra- that's that's crazy range uh i remember uh anthony hopkins who's a, a guy that i worked with a couple of times and you know one of the greatest of all time and Anthony Hopkins wrote this wonderful sort of love letter to the cast of Breaking Bad uh, when it was sort of toward the end of its run. And he and and uh, I think it was on the Internet. I think that's where I'd seen it. I'm not sure how I'd heard about it. But Hopkins wrote this letter to all of the cast members of Breaking Bad and just talking about what a what a uh, what an actor's an actor's actor, you know, experience this was to watch. Because I mean, every role in that show was just so perfectly cast down to the smallest role. And it was just uh, as as somebody who loves great acting and great writing and great storytelling, you know, Breaking Bad to me was just uh, you know, and you have you had Cranston just bringing it so hard in every single episode. It was just incredible. So, who are some of the younger actors you like to watch now? Because I mean, you seem to immerse yourself in acting, but who are some of the younger? I mean, I, I say younger. I mean, twenty five to thirty five. You know, which I mean, which is the heir apparent to like you guys, you know, the character actors. I think, I think Gyllenhaal's doing great work. Jake Gyllenhaal's doing terrific work. Um, I, you know, J- James Franco for, you know, for whatever, whatever we think about his, his personality and his life choices. Sometimes he makes some very, does some very odd things. Uh, and then he'll do a movie like spring breakers, uh, and just give a performance. that just kind of knocks your socks off. Um, he's a very, he, he, he can be a very, very interesting actor. I, 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 I do admire what he does and the choices that he makes. Um, uh, I don't know who else. Who, who? I don't know. I'm, I'm, it's hard to think. I was thinking because you, you know, you're on the inside, you know, and it's like it's like I don't know. Okay, now Taylor Swift. Yeah. Now, I saw a picture. Yeah. Of, now, 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 how did that all come up? And now, did you meet Obama? 
I met Obama at Christmas time. I was okay. I was with my gal. But we what were... is that like? Because you like politics. Yeah. And you know, I voted for Obama. I mean, I is he? A, he gets a lot hard time. He's a good president. Yeah. He's not. I mean, he's not a great president. He's a good president. But people he's go. Had, he's, he's had bad. he's had some rough seas. Yeah. But there's yeah. people. But it's still you're meeting the president. I mean, what's that like? I mean, even though you know, it's just you're at a dinner. But I mean, that must be amazing. It was very. It was very brief. Uh. I'll tell you. I mean, it was a it was a White House Christmas dinner, and uh, it's it, it's about an hour and a half to get into the White House. Uh, you're in this long line, and you go through you go through uh, uh, the metal detectors, and then you walk through this area where there's uh, uh, it's like a little boxed-in area where you stand there, and on one side is a giant fan, and on the other side is a box, which on the inside of the box covered by a sort of a grate is a uh, a bomb sniffing dog wow. and that you stand there and they blow the fan at you so the dog can get the scent of you on the other side to determine whether or not you're carrying a bomb that's a little daunting that's yeah. just gear you know you're, and then you're going to the christmas party yeah. merry just, christmas merry christmas just to have some <laughs> shrimp and you know and schmooze um but so once you're in after you go through the line you, you know in the white house and it's beautiful and there's 16 christmas trees and everybody's dressed to the nines and it's 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 very awesome. It's very awesome to walk around and uh you know and to be in that milieu and and you know and and see all those people and and then you wait in another line uh to meet the president and the president and Mrs. Obama are standing in this sort of room downstairs in the White House and you wait in line and the marine calls out your name and you go up and you shake their hand and you say merry christmas and it's a quick picture and there's a couple of little pleasantries exchanged and uh and I had sort of tried to figure out what my icebreaker was going to be my little icebreaking conversation <laughs> uh, you know what do you what do you what do you, I know, what what do you, you rap you... about what do you chat about with the president you've got like nine seconds uh and uh lawrence fishburne the actor is, a, is an old pal of mine and he had recently met the president he had done this one-man show about thurgood marshall and he'd met the president of the white house so i asked fishburne i said uh, i said is it okay if i drop your name with the president <laughs> And he said, sure, do what you got to do. So when I got up there and the Marine says, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Obama, Spencer Garrett. And I walked up and I said, Merry Christmas, Mr. President. Merry Christmas, Mrs. Obama. I said, oh, by the way, Mr. President, uh, uh, Fish sends his regards. And you said, you, she said, you tell, I tell Fish. I said, what's up? You know, and How that, cool is that? that was pretty cool. Now, now, Taylor Swift, where did you meet her? I saw you. Uh, New Year's Eve, about a week later. Uh, it was a pretty heady Christmas time. It yeah. was a fun, fun holiday season last year. I met Chris. Uh, I met her. Uh, 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 Ryan Seacrest had a, uh, 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 an after party after they dropped the ball. Uh, and a friend of mine had a party with Ryan and, uh, and she was there, uh, at this party and, um, and, uh, Seacrest said, uh, do you want to, do you want to meet Taylor Swift? And I said, sure. And I was with my girlfriend and honestly, at, at that point, I wouldn't have known a Taylor Swift song, believe it or not, if it bit me in the ass, I just didn't know her music. I knew who she was. I knew she's the biggest thing on the planet right. but i just wasn't familiar with her her oeuvre so, so uh so uh so my girlfriend said oh my god yes i have to we got to meet so we go over there and ryan says spencer garrett taylor swift she gets up she stands up and she says to me she said oh my god i totally know you and i said no you don't know me and she said yes of course i know i know who you are she said you're on law and order and i said yeah, I was on Law and Order. She said, you were on the Law and Order where you played the defense attorney, where you did the thing to the guy in the place. And, the, and I said, yeah. And she said, and then you were on another one on SVU where you played the, and I said, I said, yeah, that's right. That's amazing. I said, why, why do you know this? I said, I've been in a couple of things, but why do you know what, Law and Order? And she said, <laughs> she said, well, and she said, you know, you know what I do for a living? And I said, yeah, I'm vaguely familiar. Uh, she said, um, you know, I play concerts and I go back to my hotel room. I order Chinese food and I play with my cat, whose name is Olivia Benson, named after Mariska Hargitay. <laughs> and I watch reruns of Law and Order. And I said, wow, that sounds really just pathetic. What a pathetic, sad, sad life you lead, Taylor Swift. And I said, uh, and I was joking and she laughed and I said, and by the way, remind me, what is it you do again? And she sort of paused and she said, well, I'm a sing. And I said, I know what yeah. you do. I know who you are. Um, she couldn't have been sweeter. She was absolutely. She's I've delighted. heard that, and you know, she's, she's the biggest a, star in in the world. And I've seen she's actually a good role model, and she's yes. just someone that you know. You look at her, and you go, very, very sweet. You know, yeah, because she's from the Philadelphia area. Ah. So oh, things. is she? Yeah, she's okay. outside Philadelphia. Now, now, when does All the Way come out? 
All the Way will be out, I think, in February. Okay. On HBO. And so it's an HBO because HBO movies are always great. Yes. I mean, all, oh no, this is this is gonna this is gonna be this is gonna be tremendous. We have a few minutes left. Yeah. Uh, what what else is coming up with you? Um. Well, Satisfaction and. Uh, Got a couple of uh, couple. Of, I was I, I had a, a a wonderful role in this movie with uh, Pierce Brosnan and Owen Wilson, uh, No Escape. That sort of uh, I think the movie kind of came and went, and that's when I went over to Thailand to do that. And uh, uh, apparently the role I haven't seen the movie, but the, the the scene that I did with Owen Wilson, which was a great scene, talking about earlier whatever one of my favorite scenes. I had this terrific fun scene with Owen Wilson that because of time it just didn't make it into the cut of the movie. So. Uh, I'm actually after I leave you, I'm going to the director's house to get a copy of the the tape. Um, but uh, no satis- satisfaction, and then uh, we're starting up on uh, on the old uh, Aquarius. Now, will Aquarius be released all at one time again? Do you know? Or- I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. Uh, it probably won't be out. I mean, I can't. I obviously can't say anything about my role or how right. much I'm going to be in it. But uh, yeah, it'll be out. It'll be out in the spring again, and I'm sure they'll re- release it. You know, all streaming like they did before. Now you have some other stuff on your IMDb. Uh, Blood and oil. Uh, you, you played a priest in something. I did. It says Imbolin. What? There's a thing. You have like six movies in pre-production. Oh, oh, Imbiland. Oh, Imbiland. Oh, yeah, that's no, that's coming up. We're we, we're starting that in uh, okay. at the end of December. And yeah. now you're, you're playing... I'm about to play a priest. Yes. No, have you ever, have you ever yeah. played a priest? Before? I've never played. I yeah, I played a priest on a show called American Dreams. I did play a priest. Uh, this will be my probably my second priest, and he's a good priest. He's a Good above board, nothing hinky about this priest. He's a he's a straight arrow guy. So, so, so I now, know priests are kind of getting a bad rap. Oh yeah, lately, very so, bad yeah. rap. Now, now so uh, are you a sports fan at all? Uh, yeah, I'm a New York Giants baby. Okay, I, I gotta tell you, you know, because it's funny because I put about Starsick about the Patriots beating the Giants. Yes, and and the only thing is, and and you know. The Patriots are amazing. I, I can't stand the Patriots. And neither can I. But the thing about sorry, it, Dave. Sorry. But, but the thing about it is, is you're a big Eagles guy, yeah, obviously. Yeah. But big the time. thing about it is, the Giants, for some reason, they have the Patriots number. I mean, they just the Super Bowl. Oh, you hey, think that you think they have a shot? You think they might have a I shot? I don't know. I would. I wouldn't think they were because, like, yeah. I already look at the schedule. I go, the Eagles play the Patriots. We're losing by fourteen. Yeah. I, it just it's a given. The Patriots are just amazing. Yeah. But the Giants, as a Giants fan, it must be weird. Because, and I have a lot of friends who are Giants fans. Yeah. Because it's like you guys go, you're like the, the definition of feast to famine. Feast to famine. Super Bowl, nothing. Yeah. Super Bowl, I mean, how does that, must, I mean, but you win Super Bowl. So how does that make you feel? Does it make you crazy? It's it's uh, it's it's a, not as bad as being a Knicks fan because uh, we actually win stuff sometimes. But it is. It's fe- it's feast or famine. I mean, listen, it's uh, being a Giants fan, it's my, you know, my allegiance to New York. It's one connection that I have left to. Uh, you know, to being in New York. When I go back, if if it's during football season, I'll try to go to a Giants game. Um, but uh, but it's tough, man. They can break your heart six ways to Sunday. They really can. Do you get free tickets when you go back? Uh, I know they, a guy. I mean, they should hook you up. They should sit. There. I mean, you're a fan. That's yeah. the thing. It's like yeah. I, I think any person who has a has a mount under uh, some success. You know, you want to see those people. You know, people love watching TV and they go, hey, it's like the World Series. And yeah. you always go, well, wait a second. It's everyone in Fox Series. Yeah. No, wait a second. Such and such isn't a, isn't a, isn't a, whatever, a fan, you know, a Royals fan. Just oh, I know. I know Fox. you see people. Yeah, they're just like, there they're because they're on a Fox show. And it's no, crazy. I actually go because I like the games. Yeah, but I'm saying yeah. that that's what they should put people who are actors or wherever, writers. That who have, are genuine fans. Yeah, like not when just Woody Allen and Spike Lee at the Knicks games. Sure. Stuff like that. Yeah. No, I wouldn't go just to promote a show. You know, but anyway, if somebody wanted to give me seats behind home plate to the World them. Series, yeah, be like, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're gonna wrap up soon. Uh, now, now, social media. Do you tweet? I do tweet. I'm at uh, at at one Spencer Garrett. At one Spencer. At Garrett. number one Spencer Garrett. Just the one, the symbol one Spencer Garrett. Uh, and then Instagram at Spencer Garrett one. Do you put a lot of stuff up on Instagram? I try. Yes, I'm starting to. Uh, I'm a I'm a lazy tweeter. I'm a terrible tweeter. It's it's almost like a job sometimes. But I try to get on there as much as I can, especially when the, with a couple of shows on the air. Uh, I try to live tweet when uh, when Blood and Oil is on the air. I try to tweet on Friday nights when Satisfaction's on the air. Uh, and uh, you know, so try to be try to be as interesting as I can without. Uh, you know, without being too obnoxious. Well, I want to thank you for coming down. We talked, and you know, I you're love busy, it, man. and it worked out. Because I was like, it worked out. It's cancellation. I just said, I'm going to throw him out an e- a message and go, hey, man, if you're free tomorrow, and it worked out. I'm so glad you did, man. I really appreciate so it. So people follow him, uh, one Spencer Garrett on Twitter, and Garrett Spencer one on Instagram. Spencer Garrett one. Spencer Garrett yeah. one. Garrett Spencer. Jesus, sounds like a baseball player. Follow me, uh, Cooper Talk one on uh, Instagram. On Twitter, it's at Cooper Talk. Uh, my website's coopertalk.net. 
over 440 episodes up there where you can email me also, cooper, coopertalk.net. And my other website, stopthesalt.com. Remember when I had a health problem, it's a low-sodium cookbook. It's 120 recipes, all low-sodium, cooking for one, no pictures so you won't get intimidated, no long list of ingredients. They're basic ingredients you have in the house because I know I cook a lot now, but a lot of people don't have them. So buy that. You can go to stopthesalt.com. You can also get it at Barnes & Noble or Amazon.com. But if you get it from there, I make like half the money. So go to stopthesalt.com. <laughs> And that's it all about. So, yeah, keep following me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I will be back talking with you guys next week.